Hello everyone and happy Halloween. Welcome back to the Star Trek Hit or Miss podcast uh, on this October the 31st. Uh, don't worry, we do have a little bit of Halloween content for you uh, on this day, when, once I realised the day that it was going to air. But we do have a particularly not Halloween themed review as well because I kind of sorted those out in advance and organized my guests. And speaking of which, uh, I am honored to be joined by a, a man who's I've come to know a little bit, and I'm, I have to say I'm privileged to say that, um, a man who you may know of, who I'm looking forward to discovering a bit more about the, the Trek habits and uh, fandom of. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself, sir? <laughs> Hello, I am Dom do I mean, I, how do I introduce myself? Uh, my <laughs> name, I, and that's always the difficult bit when it comes to this sort of thing. Do I say my full name? How formal do I want to be? I am Dominic G. Martin, aka Who Chaser, aka the Purple Doctor. Just saying more and more AKAs after that. <laughs> you should surely to stay on brand. You should have just said this. I am Captain Dominic G. Martin of the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> oh, if only I can select which one, anyone between uh, Discovery's timeline and TNG timeline. One of those is mine. Fair enough. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> yeah, if I live that cool. long, hopefully I will. <laughs> well, we all uh, we're all hoping to at least make it to first contact, two thousand sixty-three. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the one. The <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, and it's kind of a, a weird thing because if you know Dom, you probably are aware of his Doctor Who uh, fandom. He's very active in in that kind of thing. But um, when I was recording a Doctor Who podcast actually a while ago, we we got talking about Star Trek at random, and it surprised me how sort of into Star Trek you were, Dom. When you when we got talking, you obviously knew what you were talking about and uh, mentioned that you were a big fan. Um, mm. And since then, I've seen on Twitter you've been kind of rewatching DS9, and uh, yeah. So <laughs> as I say, I can't wait to actually get into the weeds about what what Star Trek you like and everything, because I'm definitely enjoying what I'm seeing and. Uh, as I say, uh, Dom's a little bit excited because he's off to, as we're recording, he's about to head off to Comic-Con and he's got one of his um, cosplayers as a lovely Star Trek captain's uniform, next-gen yeah. season one and two era. <laughs> mm. Which, uh, not many people really do these days, I find. Uh, yeah. Most of people will usually do like the main season three onwards uniform or the uh, DS9 uniform, I tend to find, if, if not classic. Um, but I, I really love... I have a massive soft spot for the season one, two uniform. It always struck me as a bit of a sailor-esque uniform with how the piping is on the on the top. Yeah, the way the collar goes as well. It's very, uh, yeah, very like that. Um, the other one seems a bit stiff. I wouldn't fancy wearing the season three onward uniform because the collars are right up your neck. <laughs> that's, that's why poor Patrick Stewart <laughs> had to keep on pulling it down. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm seeing an awful lot of uh, lower decks cosplay, to be honest, at the moment more than anything else, but... Uh... Yeah, I'm jealous of you getting to go to a convention. Is there any sort of uh, special Star Trek guests you're looking forward to meeting? I don't think there's any Star Trek guests, unfortunately. Oh. Um, I wanted to, to go to Destination Star Trek, mm. but I don't think I'm going to have the opportunity until next year, at least. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is. I really hope to... Uh, I know that if I go to London Film and Comic Con, the next LFCC one, the Showmasters one, Andrew mm. Robinson's going to be there. And oh, cool. uh, my absolute sights on meeting him because I love Garrick. So, <laughs> I fair enough. <laughs> Bit of a spoiler for the hit on this section. In <laughs> oh dear, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. That's fine. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Don't worry about it. Um, 
So yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I, I'm the same as you. I would love to go to a destination Star Trek or a Star Trek specific con someday. But I do feel bad for the people who booked this year because like a ton of guests have dropped out last minute, mm, um, yeah. which isn't good. <laughs> but never mind. It's just made it not quite as worth it. Yeah, I know there was like two or three Voyager guests that all dropped out at once, and instead of announcing they'd cancelled, they announced them for next year, as if it was like oh. a glass half full situation, which was didn't go down very well. No, <laughs> so, I'm not surprised. That's a very dodgy way to handle it. It's just like, okay, so they're not now, but later. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I really, I do feel for them. A, lot, a couple of my good friends as well. Well, I say good friends. Good friends on Trek Twitter and who have been on the podcast mm-hmm. were annoyed by that, and I can kind of understand it, but. Uh, Anyway, hopefully uh, we can all get to gather together in rooms again properly sometime soon. And as I say, I've never actually been to a specifically Star Trek convention. I've been to Comic Cons, but they were more general. So mm. one day that's going to be my mission. <laughs> yeah. To try and uh, slim down enough to get into a Starfleet uniform of, of some kind and get myself to a con. So awesome. I believe uh, in you, buddy. Oh, thank you, man. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, in case uh, this is your first time listening, and for Dom's benefit, in case you haven't heard the previous episodes, uh, the way this podcast works is that it breaks down into sections, basically. Uh, the first section, essentially, is a getting to know you, uh, talking about Star Trek and, and its relation to your life. The second section is the famed hit or miss section that the podcast is named for, uh, which this week will have a bit of a spooky Halloween theme to try and stay on trend. Uh, and then we'll do an episode review, which this week is the Voyager episode, Message in a Bottle. Uh, which we had arranged in advance to review, and then uh, we will deal with all of the conclusions and scores and audience interactions and all that at the very end for the last sort of 10, 15 minutes. Uh, yeah, so if uh, if that's all good, then, Dom, are you ready to, to get going? Oh, yes. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and I will kick things off with this first section, which uh, I call Healing Frequencies Open, which is just a geeky way of saying it's like a getting-to-know-you type thing. Um, so... If you don't mind, Dom, basically I'm going to grill you about your taste in Star Trek for a little while. Um, That's quite all right. So the first question I've been asking all my guests is, what? Um, do you remember what it was that introduced you to Star Trek? Which episode sort of first hooked you in and got you to carry on watching? Uh, mm. and, yeah. Uh, wh- when exactly was it? Can you recall? My goodness. Okay. Um, well, I believe... I'm trying to remember the name of the episode here, but my earliest memory is of watching Star Trek, the original series, and Devil in the Dark, that's it. The one with the horse. That is the one that had me initially interested because it was so surreal because I was like, how old was I at the time? It was being shown on the BBC, so I was quite young. And my mother is a massive fan of, of TOS, and she decided to introduce me to it. And that episode um, scared the living daylights out of me because of, de- of the design <laughs> of the Horta. Yeah. And But it, when I was younger, it was a case of things that scared me, fascinated me. And mm. this was also the same case with Baylock. Um, oh, of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> every time in the end credits, I would always leave the room before we showed up. If it was season two, it'd be in the end. If it was like, season one or three, it'd be a free-for-all. Um, <laughs> and I was just like, oh, God. It scared, scared the daylights out of me until I just watched the episode a bit more and then I became more fascinated and learning more about these guys and more learning more about those creatures and those monsters. It got me more into it. I mean, this is well before I got into Doctor Who. So okay. one could say that Star Trek is my first sci-fi love, probably. 
Awesome. Um, um, yeah, I meant to mention that actually up top, so I may as well mention it now that um, I was going to give you a little bit of a plug about that because I was I had mentioned you're kind of on more known around Doctor Who circles and uh, sort of Doctor Who um, fan works and projects, and mm -hmm. I really enjoyed the last uh, series you did, the Doctor Who Remnants. And, Thank um, you. I just wanted to shout out for any listeners that I've got that it was another thing that reaffirmed you uh, as a bit of a Trekkie as much as a Doctor Who fan because and I forget the title now, the Cyberman episode that I listened to toward the start of the series. Um, it had a very Star Trek vibe to it. So I just wanted to let my uh, my listeners know that if you're a Star Trek fan that is looking for a way into kind of Doctor Who via fan works, that's a great one to start with because it, it's got a very Star Trek feel overall to it. And uh, yeah, it was obvious you knew what you were talking about and where you were coming from with that one. <laughs> oh, yes. I, that was a, a very intentional Star Trek homage, really <laughs> blending together the... The, how the starship was because the way the starships work in in star trek to me is the definitive way of how starships function mm. um, in fiction how i how i would employ it really so yeah that is my favorite way um but yeah writing that was a lot of fun because i'd be like okay i've designed my entire signed whole spaceship uh in my <laughs> mind it's a uh it's a galaxy class but obviously for <laughs> copyright reasons and star trek uh, doctor who universe reasons it's not that but you know what i mean yeah well doctor who does have a galaxy class starship we just don't know what it looks like do we or, or certainly doesn't uh, no, look like the enterprise in christmas in uh christmas carol uh you oh, do yeah. see it but no i refuse to i know i refuse to acknowledge that to be honest <laughs> fair enough and uh, just so people can uh, find it what was the title of that episode i'm so sorry i forgot oh uh prosperity of the cybermen Prosperity of the Cybermen, and that's Doctor Who Remnants. So, yeah, um, I will leave a link to all of Dom's random projects and stuff, I promise, uh, <laughs> in, in the description. But, uh, yeah, so that's really weird that it was the original series that kind of drew you in. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, bizarre that you mentioned that because I was reading about, obviously, for Halloween, I was reading about, like, oh, just scary things from Star Trek. What can I potentially put in here on this section? And one of the things I read was another person who had said he was absolutely terrified at the very end of the credits when Baylock appeared. Well, the Baylock puppet, because obviously it's not even mm, real. Yeah, it's not, yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's very odd. And I do remember last the last time there was a Star Trek convention a few months ago, um, somebody won the cosplay competition because they went as the Baylock puppet, but they had a little screen that they held in front of them that said producer Fred Freiberg or whoever it is. Yeah. So it looked like that. Actual I saw screen. a picture of that. That was so creepy. I was, so, I was Because it's so infamous. Yeah. You can get away with that. Yeah, I love that. I loved it as well. Awesome, awesome. Oh, that's cool. So awesome, and it was quite a um, quite a cerebral episode that was your first because I like that hot uh, kind of. You think it's a villain and it's just protecting its young mm. kind of storyline. So very uh, heavy stuff for a kid. I would have thought. But, uh, cool. Yeah, I think um, uh, the, uh, the more ethical side of things probably went over my head as a child, but as an adult, <laughs> I, I, I and a teenager, I, I kind of got into them much better. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Oh, that's cool. Um, and so if you had to pick a favourite series out of the ones uh, that have aired so far, what would you say it would be? I know it's a big oh. question. <laughs> okay, I mean, my childhood bias screams uh, TOS and TNG. Uh, if I had mm. to pick between the two, it would be TNG. But I do mm. love TOS. Um, but as I've grown up, I do love DS9 and I adore... I adore Voyager, which is <laughs> not many people tend to adore Voyager, but there's something so oh, homely. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. There's something so comforting and homely about Voyager that is just a delight that you can easily just snap on an episode and just enjoy it. I was watching Shattered the other day uh, from season five. Oh, wow. And seven, uh, I think Shattered actually. Oh, seven. No, yeah, you're right. Seven. <laughs> um, 
And I really just that blend of having that young Janeway and that modern Dakota. That was very crazy, but I really like that. Yeah, um, I like I like that. That's kind of an ingenious way to do a clip show without doing a clip show. It is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was much better than the time Next Gen did it at the end of its second season, than it was literally just a clip show. <laughs> oh, the one where Rikers have it in the operation, isn't it? Yeah, Rikers in a coma, so he literally is just uh, reliving, and it's just clips from the episodes. And it's like, oh dear me, <laughs> never mind. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a writer's strike thing or something, but anyway, <laughs> never mind. So yeah, the big question then, just to to finish off the little intro section, is uh, if you had to pick three episodes that you think exemplify the very best of Star Trek, uh, and or that you think would be good for introducing people to Star Trek to to sort of fly the flag for the franchise uh, which three episodes would you choose or as it finally occurred to me last week possibly even movies since there's over a dozen of those as well yeah there's loads <laughs> of movies okay um firstly i will go with city on the edge of forever for t-rest definitely yes thank you awesome that's my absolute number one of the franchise i think i love that oh it's a beautiful episode it's just mm -hmm. so oh i just i it was my mother's favorite episode and oh. we've watched it enough times and we just love it to pieces yeah. oh my goodness um yeah ah oh, i just it's a marvelous uh guest standing by joan collins i believe it's yes. joan collins wasn't it yeah. Uh, collins, yeah she was wonderful um but yeah uh, incredible performance from like shatner and Nimoy in that and just the story just grabs me so much it just it tingles the heartstrings, man. It does. It, it it gets me every time. I'm not. I won't spoil it in case anyone hasn't seen it. But it was an episode I I always would recommend everyone to watch. It starts off seeming a little bit silly, so just go with the concepts of the random sort of sci-fi ideas for the first mm. sort of few minutes. But then, believe me, it gets really good. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Did you uh, did you ever watch? This is probably way into the weeds, but there was a back in 1996, I think, a 30th anniversary Star Trek special where they had like famous guest stars and stuff talking, and one of them was Joan Collins, uh, and she was talking no. about when she uh, she guest starred on Star Trek, obviously, um, and she said that um, she took the part of Star Trek because she thought she was going to get to be some glamorous like queen of the universe in a skimpy costume or something, and then when she got there, initially she was disappointed because they were like. You're a woman working in a soup kitchen and uh, <laughs> fully buttoned up conservative woman. And she's, oh, darn it. But um, she's always said, like, since then, she's really proud of the role. And I just, I always remember that she signed off her sort of, um, her bit of the, the night by saying, um, and I, I'll never forget Star Trek. I'm really proud of it. And so during the 80s and 90s, whenever somebody would walk up to me and go, aren't you Alexis Carrington, that bitch from Dynasty? I would always smile sweetly and say, no, I'm Edith Keeler, depression era social worker from Star Trek. Oh, so, that's oh. really cool. I love that. <laughs> oh, she obviously she came in expecting Alana Troyes and got that. So <laughs> she got Edith Keeler much yeah. better in my much, opinion. Much, much better. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So sorry to interrupt you anyway. You had another that's two episodes right. or movies to pick. Yes. Uh number two, um, we'll go with I'll say the visitor from DS9. Oh, another great one. Yeah. Because I adore that one. I mean just Tony Todd's performances, Jake. I was going to say, just great performances again. Edith mm. and uh, yeah, Jordan Collins as Edith and Tony Todd as Jake. Great. Is uh, honestly one of my again one of my favorite guest star turns in Star mm. Trek, and just the sheer uh, the emotion in that story. I I, I love the emotional Star Trek episodes, mm. um, but that one just struck me as just being one of the top tier DS9 episodes. Because yeah. of just how, I, again, no spoilers, but mm. just the character dynamics between Cisco and his son, 
Yes, is that's what beautiful. I said, yeah. uh, that's another great choice. So uh, I'm curious <laughs> what your third will be. Then. <laughs> My third, um, oh, there are two TNG episodes that I'm torn between because okay. one one of them is um, it's one of those one-off concept ideas, mm. um, and the other is something that has a, more of a massive impact on the franchise to this day. And you can probably right. guess which one. Um, so I'll go with the latter because I feel it is of greater importance and that would be okay. Measure of a Man. Oh, okay. I, that wasn't what I was expecting. Okay. Oh, what were you expecting? Um, I was expecting Best of Both Worlds when you said impact on the franchise going forward. <laughs> um, oh, no. I mean, well, I mean, the whole synthetics and androids storyline mm. is still continuing through Picard. It is. That's true. Yeah. So um, uh, my, I mean, my other choice would have been The Inner Light. But again, that's more of a pretty episode. That's yeah. less relevant on the on the franchise as a whole. Yeah. That's that's uh, never come up. I'm si sorry, uh, Measure of a Man and Best of Both Worlds have both come up a couple of times. Nobody's mentioned the inner light, and I thought it was madly popular. So I'm, it's another I'm pleased you mentioned and gave it its due. So yeah, yeah, I love Inner Light. It's really, really good. Uh, but your Measure of a Man, just through how it handles androids and obviously mm. data, is just. I find it really fascinating exemplifying that sort of that society like how mm. obviously Gene Roddenberry still wanted this idyllic society through TNG but of course androids being not necessarily would they be seen as human or sentient etc uh, I find that really fascinating it's very a, a very Asimov concept yeah. Um, I mean, there's all stuff. Well, now you, you've got me thinking about all the other TNG episodes I really like, because I watched the Drumhead the other day as well. That's really oh, good. another great one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I'm going to have to focus and double down on ma Measure of a Man. That's say fine. That well, yeah. you can always mention, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, sort of honorable mentions <laughs> from yeah, the others. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Honorable mentions, yeah. Inner Light, Drumhead from DS9. I mean, uh, no, sorry, TNG. God. TNG, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> From I had DS9 in my head because I was just about to say uh, uh, tri triples and tribulations, <laughs> trials and tribulations from uh, DS9. yeah trials yeah. and tribulations. That's it. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was um, uh, <laughs> that was my first introduction to DS9 all those years back, and I wow. was like, wow, this is this is great. Is the rest of the <laughs> franchise like this? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, that's impressive what they pulled off again in 1996, though, to do that, putting them into that original episode, and it's it's seamless, you know? It's amazing yeah, to watch. Building those sets, or were they always were they, were they already built for a fan set or something? Or was uh, that in the, a mirror darkly? Because I know was, that was a fan set. In a mirror darkly was definitely the fan bridge of the Enterprise. Um, for Trials of Tribulations, they literally just built a corridor. The rest is just oh. them, like, via CGI and stuff in the footage, which is really, like, wow, impressive. It's seamless. Stuff. Seamless. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, that's, those are our fantastic choices. But uh, so um, just out of curiosity, for my own sake, then you've mentioned basically the, the first four series are kind of where your where your heart lies, perhaps. Mm. But um, have you been catching up with any of the more recent ones? Is there anything you, you're a fan of? Uh, unfortunately, I've just not had really the chance to catch up on anything past Discovery Season 1. <laughs> Ooh, wow, yeah, okay. So I'm well behind. Uh, yeah. Lower Decks, I've only seen a few episodes of. And Picard, I've, I've seen nearly the entire first series but again it's just off and on and off I, i'm kind of waiting until there's a bit more of them there so i can just binge watch them because i'm concentrating on a few other bits and pieces and as and uh obviously i mean when it comes to instant watching who is going to be my first point mm. of call um but when there's trek uh, it does it's it would be mean to say there's less uh, there's less need for me to watch it immediately 
but it just feels like that it's there and it's comforting. It's there when I want to see it. And plus, I'm waiting to see, uh, I'm waiting to watch uh, Picard with one of my uh, closest friends who's also a massive Trekkie. And we're going to binge watch it together. We've been promising each other for two years. We still haven't done it yet. So I'm just like, <laughs> uh, we'll get there, we'll get there. But eventually, I will lose patience and I will just watch it myself. <laughs> one of the things that initially did put me off Discovery was how everything looks. And I was just like, yeah, oh, no, no. I know I. Is he? I know it's like, okay, come on, Dom. You should realize they're going to do modernizations. It's not going to be yeah, dragged yeah. out of the sixties. But it's just because my brain is just like that somehow translates into the like the original aesthetics of of the, the original series. And you got yeah. like those small rooms, small screens. Instead, you got these all these digital pads. This looks like it belongs in like it looks like it belongs more in the Kelvin universe. Mm. And I'm just like, uh, how is this? How is this prime, dude? Well, um, to be fair, without spoiling it, they are aware of that. So by the end of season two, going into season three of Discovery, they've corrected that issue. Um, because well, again, nice. without spoiling, you, you'll have seen that the bridge of the Enterprise is as close to a perfect modernized recreation of the bridge of the original Enterprise as you can get. Um, as they're launching kind of strange new worlds, I think it's. I love it personally because it obviously it's not the exact like 1960s day glow uh, kind mm. of thing, which a lot of people kind of I think expect because obviously DS9 and Enterprise did that. Um, but I just I, I was just fawning over it when they did the previews and stuff. And even when it appeared in season two of Discovery, I was like, yep. Yeah, this I did is see the... the bridge. It does look really good. I'm <laughs> looking good. forward to Strange New Worlds a lot. Oh, I'm, like I'm so excited for that one. Because <laughs> I've always loved Pike as a character, even when it was just Menagerie in the Cage. But then you should definitely watch season two of Discovery. I think I, was, I definitely will. I was the same because, uh, yeah, it's it's so respectful to that character. And Anson Mount is fantastic in the role. And um, Ethan Peck as Spock as well, despite having the biggest uphill climb because he's competing against Nimoy and Zachary Quinto at this point. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, That's not yeah. an easy job. It's not, is it? But anyway, I've got distracted <laughs> and I could have just been talking all day to you. But regardless, so that was a little bit of a getting to know you anyway. Um, so I'll move the uh, the episode along and get into the second section, uh, which is the hit or miss section, which gives the podcast its name. Uh, if you're not familiar with the hit or miss from this podcast or our sort of Doctor Who days back in the day, what it is, I basically just throw out random things from anywhere in the Star Trek franchise. Uh, Dom doesn't know in advance what they're going to be, and I just basically hold them at him and ask if he thinks it's a hit or a miss and cool. some brief, uh, brief reasons why and then give my own opinions and whether I agree or disagree and we can debate back and forth if necessary um, and yeah just take it all in from there and as I mentioned this week I've tried to make the uh, hit or miss section a little bit spooky a little bit Halloween themed <laughs> so uh, um, <laughs> what it is I'll ease you into the hit or miss section without anything particularly scary number one is something you alluded to earlier so it's probably not going to take long to get through <laughs> and it is the character of Garak hit or miss it massive hit <laughs> uh, such a multi-layered character such a fantastic performance from Andrew Robinson who mm. is a brilliant actor um, uh, loved him in Hellraiser as well which I've seen yes. recently um, yeah. Uh, but Garrick himself, uh, I just love the chemistry that he has with Bashir. Mm. It is just, it's magnetic. It honestly is magnetic. Um, uh, um, what was the, oh God, I've forgotten the name of the episode where he has to operate on Garrick. Is it The Wire, maybe? The Wire, that's it, yeah. Watched that one a uh, reasonable time uh, ago, but that one was just peak. That was their relationship. And uh, um, obviously, I heard about how uh, Rick Berman wasn't too keen on the, how they handled him, mm. um, which is annoying to me because I really like that. Um, but 
I thought they still managed to handle him extraordinarily well. Mm. And yeah, he's a massive hit to me. Awesome. Yeah, I see he's he's very, very popular on Twitter and uh not not just with the kind of you know shipper crowd, which absolutely fair play, you know, the, yeah. the sub the subtext in their scenes rapidly became text. I'm not gonna deny that fact. <laughs> um, you know, O'Brien was his platonic friend, Garak was his boyfriend. We can pretty much accept that at this point, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, but no. In terms of the character, I agree. I think he's a hit because I love the the idea that he's like the the enemies that just left the station. He's the, the one of them that's not kind of with them. I'm, yeah, I'm stumbling on my words here, but you know what I mean. Like he's not loyal yeah. to the bad guys, and um, I just think it's clever every time they kind of had to think of something to do with him. So I remember being impressed when at the end of season five, when the Dominion and the Cardassians take the station back mm. and Garak ends up on the Defiant just going, well, I'd like to come along if you'd like, you know, I never know if you might need a good tailor and simply I'd have nowhere else to go. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. Oh, there's also this line that I absolutely adore from him. Uh, one of the end of the, one of the uh, season two episodes or one episode, but it's always struck out to me is definitive to his character. Mm. And it's just like, you don't trust me, doctor. There's hope for you yet. Yes. I love it. That's one of the ones along with the other line that always get appears in the memes, which is, um, Doctor, everything I've told you is true. Even the lies, especially the lies. Especially the lies. I love that. He's such a trickster. He's brilliant. It's awesome. And I liked um, when they did the whole thing about um, his his secret father in Arbrantain and like, will he accept him or not? And uh, mm. yeah, he had a whole arc of that around season three to five. Yeah. And then uh, again with the Dominion yeah. stuff, it was him that kind of liberated Cardassia, which was a beautiful way to to bring him back to his people, I guess, as well. Cap so, that off, yeah. Yeah, awesome. I think we both like the character, suffice to say. I definitely. <laughs> um, from the original series, mm -hmm. uh, and it's the only time it's really been a very blatant Halloween episode, it's the episode Cat's Paw. Oh, yeah. Yeah, know that one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Awesome. Oh, Hit or miss. That was years ago. Uh, <laughs> Hit. And awesome. I remember, doesn't it like a giant cat? Yep. There. Yeah, that's the one. Oh my god, that was that was freaky as a kid. Um yeah, just the, the slightly like possessed crew members. Yes. Um they that was definitely uh that was a creepy one for to say the least. Um, it's really weird. It's one of those I, I, I would probably say it hit, but just but it's mm. only salvaged as a hit when you recognize that it was made to be a Halloween episode. And so all the ridiculousness, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I get what you're doing. You, a random castle has appeared and you've got like uh, the, the Macbeth style three witches and the giant mm. cats and everything. And uh, yeah, you've got to give it up for them for, for at least going all out and having the balls to do it. <laughs> Definitely. that's what It was intentional. And I think for the most part, they pulled it off. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. But uh, and again, I just it's very common in the original series that you know the all-powerful thing turns out to be something silly but i just remember that ending from when i was a kid watching tos that they you know they shatter her wand or whatever is keeping their human form and they're just random little bird things that yeah <laughs> yeah that was yeah. that was right out of nowhere yeah completely <laughs> but it's it's just such a visual though that you're like it's it's ridiculous and it's out of nowhere but it sticks in your mind that when you mm. i just always picture these two like purple shiny birds on the floor like ah <laughs> but yeah awesome oh, so uh, yeah a hit for the halloween episode cat's ball then <laughs> awesome yeah um the next thing i have on my list is a movie because frankly it's the thing that i find scariest out of star trek um and that's the movie star trek first contact oh, yes <laughs> i love that choice 
that's a hit for me <laughs> oh goodness i love that one it's so scary the ball mm -hmm. actually at their scariest because now they've got yep. the big budget uh behind them to be able to really enhance those prosthetics yeah and how much they can actually do oh man just the there's a fair amount of gore in that as well when it comes to the transformations it's really gory yeah you see like eyes gouged out and things it's it's shocking really body horror yeah, yeah. oh it really sticks with you but yeah. i it was that was scary uh picard's declining mental state was scary mm. because uh, just how like vengeful he was becoming Great like, performance, though, by Patrick Stewart. That scene in the ready room is just, in my opinion, if, if sci-fi got respect, that's an Oscar-worthy performance. That right, right oh, there. yeah, definitely. I just yeah. oh really thought that was... It, that is definitely my favourite of the next-gen movies. Um, mm. Oh, by far, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I think uh, not, not just for the reasons that it's scary, because, again, even thinking about crazy ideas like the Borg Queen being just a disembodied head. And yeah. you're thinking like, who thought of this? It's so weird. Yeah, how do you come up with that? So the, <laughs> yeah. the Queen herself was just so unborg-like, I found. I found that creepier. She was yeah. just like, she had all her emotions intact. And it's just like, yeah. okay, uh, well, you should not be like this. She's kind of, like, related to what you were saying earlier, she's kind of Cenobite-like in a lot of ways, yeah. weirdly. She does seem Thank like a power, yeah. yeah bondage demon kind of thing. It's a... Uh, mm. Yeah, it's all about seductive nature and everything rather than being like the robotic cyborg, which is why I have a slight issue with the idea of the queen, but you've got to give it up for the performance that Alice Krieger did at least, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. And yeah, great. Just great plot overall, the idea of having to make sure that first contact happens and uh, yeah, <laughs> rescue the day. And again, the Borg are always cool, but you're absolutely right. It was, a, it was good that they finally got the budget to realize them, even if the body horror maybe has got a little tiny bit much yeah. <laughs> for, for me although i was like what 14 at the time so yeah didn't perhaps have been as windy <laughs> james cromwell was Stephen cochran though brilliant yes yeah oh and uh, the drunk diana troy scene <laughs> oh that was <laughs> hilarious glorious, yeah. oh goodness me <laughs> oh Mar i love that movie. marina played yeah. it so well she she was so much better in the movies than they ever let her be in the show we just mentioned she that last relaxed. week yeah. A lot more relaxed <laughs> in the movies. I mean, yeah. and in Voyager as well. I mean, yes. uh, when her accent started slipping, it was it was just surprisingly better. Uh, the next thing on my list is something you will be more familiar with, and it's the scary concept of an enemy that uh, wants to conquer you and go to war. So hit or miss the Dominion. Oh, the Dominion. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Now, they were creepy as heck so far. I mean, I'm still midway through series three, season three of uh, oh, Disney. Okay. Um, nice. But we're seeing the origins of them, and they are not nice. I, just yeah. that whole experimentation, the, the mind games they played um, with the crew in uh, in their first appearance, really, first proper appearance, mm. I believe, early season three, um, when they were all thought they were on the station, but they were all actually just back in the cave. Yes, yo, oh, yes, weird. I forget that one. The search, I think, is uh, that's is, uh, it. Sorry. Yeah, the search, yeah, yeah, it's great because I was reading again as I was reading to sort of like what's what's scary in Star Trek. Somebody had compared the idea of the changelings to uh, the creature from th the thing, in that you mm. never know if you're one of them or if any of them are around anywhere. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's actually a perfect analogy in a lot of ways because it's the yeah. paranoia, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, Odo when he's mad is very scary because mm. there was this uh, one where he was destabilizing and oh. he became that monster. 
Yeah, that's the end of, towards the end of season four, I believe. When he, or, or, or am I misremembering that? So it was season two, I think. Or was okay. it season three? It was around it was earlier. Um, but yeah, I'm thinking of something that's... else. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of the one where he, he's losing his powers and he's drying out and looks all flaky. Oh no, that one's terrifying in itself. <laughs> yeah. This one is up. Oh, no, this is the one where is uh, his the professor comes along who he. Um, oh, yes. The one who kind of found him and named yeah, him, found him, put him in a jar. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, there's some scary ideas, but I just love. I mentioned it in a previous review, but I love the episodes um, Homefront and Paradise Lost in season four for when you reach them because it's just. Oh, that's does... the one where uh, Cisco's in the TNG uniform, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I love that one. <laughs> I love it because it just deals with the paranoia of like, yes, there's an actual mm. threat going on here, but the paranoia taking you over and making you militant is almost as bad as the actual yeah. threat. <laughs> you know, I love um, that one. Yeah, it's great. There's all kinds of different uh, representations of fear. And for me, if we're talking about scary stuff and fearful stuff, I think the fear of losing your own morality and your own kind of freedom like that, pretty freaky idea within itself, you know? And, a massive. Uh, it, freaky again, it's idea. one of those um, one of those smaller moments that sticks with me, but it's always uh, it's always been in there is when they're going through all these security things and the whole episode is about how, in, how they're intensifying the security and then there is an actual shapeshifter that comes up to Cisco and just says, what if I told you, I can tell you exactly how many of us there are. There's three on your whole planet. And it's just like, oh, wow, <laughs> we're going to all of this trouble, curtailing freedoms and everything. And there's three of them. You know what I mean? three of them. Oh. <laughs> not that that's not scary within itself because yeah. who knows where who they knows are. Who knows where they are. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, oh, cool. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, we, we seem to have a lot in common, but I will mention uh, I've got another few episodes and then one more thing. So the next episode, uh, I've got a feeling you will have seen this one, is the episode Conspiracy from Early Next Generation. Oh, God. That's Hit or miss. Um, well, that was... Uh, I mean, they were still finding their feet. <laughs> yes, they were, that's a they nice were getting, They were getting there. Uh, <laughs> miss. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's that's. I would absolutely agree with you. I always tend to put in at least one thing that I think is going to be uh, a miss, and I agree. It's so silly. It's so oh. ridiculous. It's uh, don't get me wrong. It's cool in that gory kind of mm. you know eighties horror movie kind of special effects way at the end of the episode, but it's so ridiculous and it goes absolutely nowhere and it's got nothing to do with anything. Yeah, <laughs> nothing's revisited just... about that episode. It's just oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I uh, I vaguely remember reading somewhere that there was a concept that those bug things were going to end up to be the Borg, and then that would have tied it all nicely in a bow kind of thing. But yeah, uh, in the I'm end, glad they didn't pursue yeah. that. Yeah, no, they realized that bugs were too expensive, so cyborgs were cheaper. <laughs> that's when they were changed. But you can kind of tell the uh, influence because that's like the whole hive mind, like insects kind of thing. Yeah, um, that's where yeah. that came from. So yeah. But no, that episode is just so weird. If, if only because it stands out like a sore thumb, like out of nowhere. Does. <laughs> we don't need it. We didn't need it. Nah, it's just and all anybody really remembers about it is that uh, that bug at the end. Yeah, the guy's head exploding. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's not great. But yeah, as you say, next gen. It took a season or two to find its feet, and that was season one. So hmm. fair play. <laughs> you Thankfully, it much improved after that. It, it, Imagine it, just it, accidentally. <laughs> putting everything on random then getting conspiracy and then code of honor back to back you'd be done for oh my word <laughs> code of honor is an episode that's just so bad just it's don't... just oh mistake i'm surprised <sighs> it made it to the second series on that basis 
Oh, I know. I mean, 1987, who'd, who'd have thought it was a world away? But never mind. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to get into that. Um, but yeah, so I have one more episode then to see if you've seen and then one more character. Uh, okay. And the next episode on the list is the episode Alice from Voyager. Uh, have you seen it? And if so, is it a hit or a miss? Alice, Alice, Alice. Uh, I'm just trying to visualise which one that was. Oh. Uh, if I tell oh, you that's that's Tom Harris, isn't it? That's yeah, the one with Tom, um, isn't it? It's basically Stephen King's Christine, it, it completely unashamedly, but in a sci-fi context, it makes no bones to Ooh, disguise that, that the fact. One with, that's the one with the shuttle, isn't it? It's yeah. the, the woman shuttle. Yep. Oh, man, that's been a while since I've seen that. I can't remember if I liked it or disliked it, but my God, that is a, that's a concept in itself. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just... Yeah. I want to. I will. I, I want to say that sounds like an interesting thing because I do like Christine. I saw the movie fairly recently, mm. um, but I don't remember enough of the episode to pass judgment on it. So I'm just going to assume it's probably crap. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, in my opinion, your assumption is correct. It's a miss for me because, again, it doesn't really even tend to disguise what it is, and the way that it makes these things into sci-fi ideas just gets silly with the kind of the hologram of a woman that's talking to him and everything. It's and just it's, a bit, uh, yeah, it's just, yeah. it's been, it's been, it's no, you don't need to. No, it's daft. I mean, it's good. If, if you are looking for schlocky horror episodes of Star Trek, then I guess yeah. kind of hit on that regard. And but... thing, I can't really see Tom as a character gelling with a whole holographic um, seduction, seduction thing. He'd want a human. Yeah. He's like Riker. He'd want a human. Well, or he's all about alien ship, species. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's all about the ship, though. That's the point, is that he, he because yeah. you know, he's got the love of hot rods and things. It's like, oh, I love this ship. It's It's got me in the same way that Christine is the, the kind of shiny red hot rod car or whatever. And, yeah, but, Tom, but do again, you want to screw just... the ship? Do you want to screw the ship? <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that's essentially what you... That's why I don't think it works for Star Trek, because, I mean, the subtext in Christine is this guy would love to bang his car, <laughs> ultimately. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but, uh, Stephen anyway. King was an interesting chap. Well, he took a lot of drugs in the 80s. Let's yeah, say. there you go. Let's I mean, that's that, that one bit of it. Oh, my word, no. I'm not touching that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the final thing on the hit or miss section for today, then, is, um, again, talking about scary characters, is the character of Gol Dukat. Hit or oh, miss. Gol Dukat. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I. That's the thing with Gol Dukat. I really like him, but they turned him into a a villain near the very end when previously there were nuances to his character out there. Oh, okay. Uh, That's, but the thing yeah, is, a, I mean, it was never really, on I'm thinking <laughs> it, was, it was a more of a rival nemesis type character in the beginning, mm. but then he moved on to full on psycho, psycho, psycho villain near the end. Um, right. okay. I preferred him more manipulative. Uh, I preferred him more as when he was more oh. like, it's difficult to describe, but I mean, he was a, he was always a god awful human being. Mm, but well, God ask him. <laughs> yeah, why did I say that? Well, I, I think it was just because human being was just what generally it's follows just a figure god of speech, awful, yeah. figure of figure of speech. <laughs> yeah. And then eventually, you like, yeah, but he was a god awful Cardassian being. <laughs> but it was yeah. entertaining to watch. I so by the end, mean, yeah. it became. He became quite. He just became unrelentingly unpleasant. I mean, when he killed Jadzia, that's the mm. the point of absolutely no return. And that of saying that about about a character who has had so many points of no return previously off screen as well. Mm -hmm. 
when you take into account his account uh the character's past and you know with uh kira and everything yeah um he is i want to say he's a fascinating villain he's a fascinating writer writer villain mm-hmm. but he became a bit too on the nose evil villain after okay. that is um, is a complex villain he's complex i mean it's just how how unlikable do you want to make your villains when they're god awful creatures but yeah. with that sense of being like but you can work with them to fulfill a goal yeah but in the, I, the end he became completely unworkable if i had to kind of spitball what, what what you're sort of saying and what i think the show did i think what happened is they introduced weyoon who became what mm. Ducat was in those first few seasons, the kind of charming, manipulative, you know, evil, but for want of a better way to put it, not irredeemable, maybe, because mm. um, there's still something there, and he's always, like, pleasantries, and it's all bubbling under the surface, even if it's not, like, out in the open. Um, yeah. And when you've got when you've got Weyoon doing that, having Ducat doing it as well would be kind of redundant. So yeah, that was when he kind of took the turn into absolute psychosis, as you say. Um but for me, that's when the character actually got better. I was really? more interested in him at that point. Um, so, like, everything from when he kind of betrays Kira to join the Dominion, when everybody's expecting, because at that point, he basically has been working towards a, a, almost a redemption arc, and it's kind of, hmm. he's accepted Zial and the Cardassians of the, being the kind of the victims, I guess, in the war with the Klingons. And so it looked like it was heading one way. And then in that fantastic kind of two-parter toward the end of season five, it's just that moment of, uh, you've misunderstood, Major. I'm not attacking the Dominion fleet. I'm joining them. <laughs> it's just yeah. kind of, uh, oh, wow. Okay. That's just a cool really, boy. Uh, yeah, just beyond reproach. He really doesn't have any morals. And again, just all of my highlights of Ducat are from those last few years because um, that moment at the end of Sacrifice of Angels when he realizes or when he sees the Arl killed, it's devastating to me that mm. that being the moment that broke him, I think makes perfect sense. And yeah, just, Oh, it was so emotional. I can barely talk about it. Um, and then slightly later in that season, the episode waltz, just a two hander between Marco Lemo and um, Avery Brooks, both just doing the best acting of any kind of television. But again, because it's sci-fi, it won't get respected, but I just think that performance from the two of them, the way they both play it, Ducat's absolute madness and Cisco's absolute, like, I know you believe this, but you're a scumbag, you're a horrible person, and I'm not going to listen to you. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I love yeah. that episode. So I could watch that anytime just as a fantastic, it's almost like a play. Yeah. I would say overall, I, I can kind of see where you're coming from because it did get silly when he started becoming possessed by par rates and having a mm. cult to them and that season seven arc to me just didn't work at all when he was disguised as a Bajoran and they randomly decided mm. to chuck him with the other big villain. So he was seducing Kai Wayne and stuff. And it was yeah, like, I didn't, I didn't, uh, nah, no, <laughs> didn't work, did it? Nah, um, not for me. Nah. nah, not for me either. But I would still say overall the character was a hit because yeah, he was interesting definitely. enough for the majority. So you yeah, kept, yeah. kept your interest, kept your interest. Awesome. Um, that's fair enough. Cool. So then that will end uh, the spooky hit or miss section. And uh, everyone, I hope you're having a happy Halloween uh, and enjoy yourself. There, you will leave all of that Halloween festivities behind and jump into our review for this week. So we will begin our analysis of the episode Message in a Bottle. So um, just as I, as I kind of have been doing the last few weeks, just to give a quick synopsis for anybody who's not that familiar, uh, this episode basically sees Voyager... Um, 
enhancing their sensors, finding a sensor array, and realizing they can contact the Starfleet vessel that's on the outskirts of the Alpha Quadrant, but the only way they can reach them is to send the holographic doctor through. So the doctor arrives on the ship only to find it's been taken over by blooming Romulans. Isn't it always the way? <laughs> Unfortunately, typical, absolutely typical. <laughs> typical. So he has to team up with the, uh, the secondary Mark II EMH from that ship to retake the ship from Romulans and deliver the message to Starfleet that Voyager is still alive, well, but stranded in the Delta Quadrant. So, phew, <laughs> with, uh, mm. it gets through quite a lot in 45 minutes. With that in mind, do you have any kind of spoiler-free initial thoughts to our modern message in a bottle? I, oh, well, I really love this one. I, I really, really enjoy it because it's, yeah. it feels it feels like it's partially a comedy, but it's mm. also... Oh, actually, with the I don't think partially. I think it's fully a comedy. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. With that dynamic between the two EMHs. Yeah. Um, it was very, very cool to see the Prometheus in action. Oh, it was so cool. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. But, I mean, spoiler free, I it's such a lovely episode because it, it has a lovely, warm ending. And mm. the whole way through, it's, it's just feels, even though it's dealing with dark bits in the middle, it still feels a fairly light episode. It's just yeah. really nice to watch and enjoy. Um, yeah. I had a, yeah, a couple of sort of thoughts that I had about the episode. One that's entirely my own opinion and one that I must admit that I read from someone else but fully agree with. Hmm. Um, and the first one that I got from watching this episode was having seen all of it now, this episode struck me as very much, it's Lower Decks before Lower Decks was a thing in that it's respectful of Star Trek, but it's absolute comedy from start to finish. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like th th this could easily be adjusted into an episode of Lower Decks. Um, into like the half hour kind of idea of, you know, one ship's doctor teaming up with another and they hate each other, but they've got that bickering. And um, related to that, the idea that I fully agree with, but didn't come up with myself, is when I was reading about the episode, I saw that um, it's uh, there was a lot of comparisons of the two doctors to uh, Frasier and Niles from Frasier. Um, when you hear that, I was like, oh my gosh, you're absolutely right. It really is, isn't it? Even that's in physical the, appearance, really. Absolutely. That's the point. Yeah, fully. Because <laughs> they, they are, they're acting like that. And there was one moment in particular when, because I read that and took it in and then just it went to the back of my mind. And as I was re-watching, um, and it's, it skips a little bit ahead in the episode, but it's the moment when they're kind of trying to control the ship and the, the Mark II's exasperatedly saying, oh, the Starfleet vessels are firing on us. They must think there's Romulans on board. And then the Mark I just, they're right. They're right. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that is full Frasier and Niles right there, isn't it? <laughs> you can, yeah. You can almost exactly. see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Uh, yeah, I love, I love that bickering near the end as well. It's just like when... I, I love the bit where the uh, the Mark II accidentally fires a torpedo at one of the Defiant <laughs> class ships. <laughs> I love it because its special effects plays the comedy of that moment so cool. Yeah. To me, in my opinion, I don't know if this is true. It seems like they've slowed down the torpedo so that you can see its path just almost going like, ooh, oh, oh, <laughs> oh no, oh no. <laughs> yeah, you hit the wrong ship. I love, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that whole, I mean, everything with the two of them is so, so good. And uh, just before I get into the kind of the chronological notes, there's a fantastic story I read about when they met each other, which I have to share in case anybody doesn't know it. Apologies if you're familiar with it. But um, obviously, uh, Robert Picardo and Andy Dick had to meet and kind of talk about their, um, you know, what they were going to do in the episode. And apparently on their, their first meeting, or roughly around then, 
um, Andy Dick, who hadn't seen a lot of Star Trek, but had sort of like Next Generation, apparently said to Robert Picardo, so uh, surname Picardo, eh? Very similar to Captain Picard. Is that uh, something that causes you any trouble or whatever? And apparently Robert Picardo, without missing a beat, just said, I'm getting heat from a guy whose last name is Dick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I just love that story. <laughs> That's incredible. That just sums up the. uh, That's the character dynamics, really, isn't it? As well. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, also, gotta love that whole uh, extra uh, (laughs) subroutines, especially considering the guy's last name is Dick. Uh, Can you can can you download those subroutines into me? Or did I say okay, Andy? That's um, (laughs) that's even better when you know because again, I didn't until I looked it up that um, that whole thing about sexual relations and I've I've made modifications that was from Robert Picardo. That wasn't in the script. Oh my god! It was was him that put that forward because he says there's a a little bit of improvisation that they were allowed to go with, but the two things he contributed that he's proudest of is that runner about like I've even had sexual relations, um, which he discussed, and most importantly that he fully came up with was the uh, the exchange of um, stop breathing down my neck. My breathing's a simulation, so is my neck. Stop it anyway. (laughs) That's all, Robert uh, Picardo. That's genius. (laughs) Yeah, but apparently he's very proud of that. He mentions at conventions all the time that he came up with that idea because uh, I think that originally the line had been scripted about like stop breathing down my neck, and it was him that had said, "Well, they don't breathe," and then he yeah. kind of wrote the back and forth about it from there. So again, brilliant! You've got to love when someone's that in character and that funny with it as well. Oh yeah, so, that yeah. shows real good knowledge of the character. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, we normally go in a chronological order. So just for the sake of it, I'll go through a few notes. And again, if there's anything you want to jump in, contribute, agree, disagree, or whatever, um, feel free. Uh, So we start the episode basically on Voyager, as you would expect. Uh, And there's a little bit of conflict, which is a little bit unusual for a Star Trek show. But uh, this is, of course, still quite early in Seven of Nine's uh, sort of time on the ship. It's only middle of season four. um, And she's rubbing Belana up the wrong way. Mm. (laughs) So... Belana's talking to Chakotay about, like, she's just so rude and I can't handle it and blah, 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 Um, which was a little weird to me, but it's also probably my favourite of the two or three B plots in the episode because it goes somewhere, Mm. (laughs) but it actually seems to have a point, uh, which I'm sure we'll get to later as we hit the scenes. But, uh, yeah, it was an interesting way to start. And I did make note of this as well, that um, I can remember that around this time Roxanne Dawson was pregnant, which you can tell because she... uh, she randomly gets that engineering coat with tools that, in for no reason. That big jacket. That big yeah. jacket. <laughs> Although it's great because they do actually let her use one of the tools once, and it's in this episode when she's uh, reconfiguring the array or whatever on the bridge. And <laughs> She actually has a purpose yeah. for it. Yeah. So, it's very yeah. effective, though. You never can tell that she's pregnant. No, and apart from, obviously, the killing game, which they write into the plot, which, again, yeah. quite ingenious, really, when you think. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, so obviously we get to see the astrometrics lab, which at this point has been built and become the kind of one of the focal points of Voyager as it would be going forward. Uh, this is, a, again, a slight bugbear with me that the kind of cold open of the episode is deliberately kind of misleading um, because it just says, oh, look, I've enhanced the sensors and we've picked up a Starfleet vessel. And then it goes into the credits and I was like, mm, there's a couple of important bits of information you're leaving out there, really, isn't yeah. there? It's not just like there's a vessel right down the street or whatever from us. So hmm. but, uh, yeah, where yeah. <laughs> but uh, to be fair to them they immediately do point out when they get back from the credits oh it's because i've oh found this there was a and... really nice detail though um when they just said there's a starfleet vessel before the opening credits kicking they play a little snippet of the ds9 theme do they oh okay. yeah cool. da, da, da. i didn't notice but that's cool yeah, they do awesome. sweet oh that's cool i like that um <laughs> i like voyager's credits as well because i just think oh yeah that's that's not specific to this episode. 
But uh, yeah, I do like that. Again, as I said, the whole point is they point out you couldn't have extended the sensors to the Alpha Quadrant, and they mentioned this relay, which will become important later. Um, yeah. And again, kind of cool. Um, and they do that fantastic thing which Star Trek and all good drama does, which is to put a clock on it, which is that they've got 16 minutes to get a message to them before they lose the opportunity. I don't know how. I don't care. It's just a ticking <laughs> clock. You know, <laughs> I don't need to know the exact specifics, but uh, it's kind of nice that at least it takes the time in the episode to show that they tried a message or whatever first and it deflects back and you get that bit of tension of like, oh, is it even going to work? What's the what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> you know? mm. um, yeah, which I like. And I do like the cleverness of the idea that, oh, well, a message would degrade, but a hologram won't if we send that through. Again, not sure it makes any logical sense. Don't really care. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's a clever way to bring the Doctor into this, and as he points out, to give him another away mission, I guess, which uh, is cool, because he's one of the better characters in the show, really, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I love him. He's just so fun to watch every single time he really is yeah i like it. this is pretty, really geeky but it hadn't even occurred to me as a problem but the episode solved it when balana says that she'll send an initiation code with the doctor so that he'll actually activate because i was like that would have been really awkward if you think about what they sent him through yes, to the prometheus <laughs> and they said well we're gonna wait for someone to turn him on <laughs> yeah <laughs> but they, they did actually make a mistake at this point in the episode which i hadn't noticed until i rewatched it but when the doctor's decompiling or whatever to get sent to the Prometheus. His mobile emitter disappears as well, which shouldn't really go with him. Oh, <laughs> yeah. They obviously forgot he had it on him on his like shoulder or whatever. And I was like, oh dear. <laughs> ah. Never mind. <laughs> it's it doesn't ruin the episode. It's just yeah, no. Like, ah, but um, spot, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those things. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's like that, to, that whole in generations they forgot Picard's comm badge. Um, that oh, wasn't. Yeah. That wasn't down to them not, him not having the combat. They literally just forgot it. Yeah. <laughs> they do things like that all the time. And uh, the many times that Janeway's combat is like randomly wonky or pointing in the wrong direction. Yeah. From scene to scene. <laughs> anyway. Um, but no, so it's this point at the episode that um, we have to get into my baby, the USS Prometheus. Oh, mm. She's so cool. I love her so much. <laughs> We uh, we see her for the first time here, and I can just, if, if I may, just develop this into a little bit of a personal backstory, because I have to probably explain why it is that I love the Prometheus and perhaps a little bit this episode, which is that I was very young. I was still in high school when this episode was about to air, and I remember that we never used to look up spoilers, but there was always like little preview hints and images that would appear before the episodes would air, mm. um, and we, we, you know, we would go on the internet at school and look up the Star Trek images and they showed images of the Prometheus and then Ooh. the idea that it could split into three and the moment I saw the first images of it I was like that thing is gorgeous I want this episode to air now because it's amazing yeah. um, so ever since then I've kind of loved the Prometheus and I have to say they do deliver in this episode it, it does get a chance to shine and you do see it from every possible angle and they do show the what's it called multi-vector assault mode at least yeah. twice so you know fair play to them and it's uh, good worth good worth yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I really love the Prometheus design. I wish it was able to be used more. Um, yeah, that's that's um, something someone mentions that in the audience interaction, which I'll bring up at the end. But yeah, I agree. It's kind of criminally underused when they have all the all the kind of assets, as they say, there to use it. They had the so, Yasses there. Why didn't it appear in DS9? Well, they could, yeah. <laughs> exactly. They could have easily have done that. I mean, they put the Intrepid class in DS9, so there's no reason why they couldn't have yeah, just <clears throat> used yeah. yeah, they could have used that Prometheus class for that, but yeah. Anyway, if, if anybody is curious, by the way, the only other times it appears are in Endgame, the Voyager finale. They're in the fleet um, escorting them. 
I'll just say oh, that. Oh, when everything's and, calmed um, down, there's no war anymore. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, randomly, they appear in Enterprise in the um, when Archer is transported to the 26th century, and uh, they mention he arrives oh. on the Enterprise J, and they mention that the Sphere Builders are having a conflict with the Federation, uh, and because they presumably just had the ability to use these assets, there's a, the USS Dauntless and the USS Prometheus are fighting outside the window. And uh, because of HD kind of Blu-rays and things, now you can see that's what they are, which means the Prometheus class so good that it's still in service 300 years later. I mean, so, they kept the Excelsior, so... <laughs> it's very true, actually. Yeah, so, yeah, but I just love... The exterior of the Prometheus is cool enough, but then inside, how cool is the little swishy sick bay and all of the mm. interior sets and the bridge and everything? It actually looks new and shiny and cool. It's all very cream. Yes. <laughs> well, cream and beige. <laughs> yeah, cream and beige. It's kind of riffing on the on the uh, Galaxy class uh, Enterprise that's D bridge. I was thinking, yeah, because yeah. it, I think that's the point is that because that's kind of so homely and cool and yeah, and we didn't really have that from DS9 and Voyager, so it was kind of mm. yeah. Perhaps that's another reason I, I kind of like it, but yeah. Um, again, this is a really geeky spot and has nothing to do with anything, but the Prometheus Bizarrely uh, has two registration numbers because there was a slight miscommunication between departments. So oh. you, can, <laughs> you can see on the physical model or the CGI model every time it appears that the registry is clearly NX59650, but it's also visible on the dedication plaque that you see on the bridge on a few scenes that it's actually NX749 something or other. Oh my goodness. Well, there we <laughs> go. We have Starfleet's first typo. <laughs> so because the um, art dressing department didn't speak to the visual effects department, so they ended up with two, but they, they're generally considered truth is the one that's painted on the whole as it appears more frequently and is seen more often. And yeah. if anybody if anybody does care for an actual explanation in canon, there is one. They actually went back and said, look, it was an initial idea that they re-updated or something. And then the numbers, they just, they ended up keeping the one from the original kind of, it's a whole thing. Look it up if you're interested. But uh, yeah. yeah, essentially in real world terms, they just didn't talk to each other. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think that would happen nowadays. But, no, no, no. <laughs> but cool. yeah, that was a that's a learning experience for them. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that might be why, by the way, if you're looking up the Prometheus on the internet, you will often find two completely different registries. They're both the same ship. <laughs> Just that's why. Um, but yeah. So the the doctor when he arrives, kind of on the sick bay, uh, you get the shock moment of kind of spotting the dead crew, um, <clears throat> which is pretty shocking for us as the audience. But it's kind of overshadowed for me because I was just like, oh, cool. They're in the new uniforms. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I believe, isn't this the first time that the DS9 uniforms, uh, movie uniforms appeared in Voyager? It is because obviously there would be no reason why. Yeah, this would be the first and... time. Yeah. I mean, I know it, when Barkley had his uh, sort of appearance, sort mm. of, uh, mm -hmm. he was wearing a Voyager DS9 uniform, early DS9. Um, but that was after they were introduced, the new ones. No, no, but not... the Barclay appearance that you're talking about, projections, probably in season one. Um, season two, 96. Season two, yeah. Is uh, him in the DS90 uniform, maybe? Yeah, it's uh, him in, sure. the, uh, in the well, the Voyager-specific uniform. Yeah, the Voyager. I kind of think of it, I kind of think of the coloured shoulders. I know it's the DS9 early, but it mm. feels more linked to Voyager for me. Well, yeah, because Voyager because, use it throughout yeah, all seven all years. Through, really, yeah. So, yeah, I suppose that's fair. But no, Barclay does appear with the grey kind of movie DS9 uniform in like season yeah. six and seven as well. So Yeah, and later on. Um, but no, in projections, he was in the yellow 
uh, yeah. things in the Voyager, normal Voyager. I hate oh, this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, it's 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 kind of a nice touch. I like that they actually had the continuity to realize that in the Alpha Quadrant they would have these yeah. new uniforms. But oh. I remember, um, this is again really geeky at the time, me and a friend of mine were disappointed that Voyager didn't update to those uniforms when they knew about them, because I was like, well, now they should replicate new uniforms, damn it. <laughs> they, they uh, that yeah, that was, that's the thing. I was wondering why Starfleet like, never sent a code, just to give them the uniforms, to, new uniforms, <laughs> so they could feel up to, up to scratch. It's still part of the team. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's not a huge deal, but... Yeah, not still. really. I mean, it gives Voyager its own distinct visual identity still, so compared to it, DS9, so... Which also, I, those. I, I believe to this date, Voyager might be the only show that hasn't changed the uniforms at any point in its whole run. Um, wow, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think so. Although Dex, I don't think has, but that's animated and it's still only two years in yet. So, mm, I mean, TOS yeah. had those, had like those first uniforms at the start, and they were just jumpers, yeah, just jumpers, they were... basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, it was nice, uh, but kind of bittersweet as always to hear Majel Barrett's voice as the computer mm. uh, on the Prometheus when the Doctor was talking to it. Um, but yeah, I like that they kind of uh, they deal with exposition and get it out the way through dialogue rather than just dumping it all on you because it makes sense with the Doctor asking what's happened and how many, what's going on, why are there Romulans? There's 27 Romulans aboard and you know you get the full specifications of the Prometheus and the first mention of Chekhov's multi-vector assault mode. Yeah. Uh, which, the doctor hears the name of, but when he asks what it is, gets told, oh, it's, you're not allowed to know, no full clearance required. So it's setting that up, I think, nicely for the audience. It's a bit of a tease. <laughs> but, mm, um, but it's not long after that, though, that you see a Nebula-class ship attacking them, and uh, we are shown the multi-vector assault mode. The Romulans activate it, and it's so cool <laughs> when it happens, isn't it? Mm. It's yeah. like a, a salsa separation on steroids. Yeah, exactly. But just the fact that all three parts become their own little individual warships and they've all got weapons and they've all got nacelles, including the one little pointy one at the top for the triangular part. <laughs> so, yeah, I love it a bit. The, the other, the one sort of thing that bugs me is that it never really makes clear what happened to that Nebula class ship. You just see them firing yeah, at the back I of was, it. I was wondering that. I saw an explosion. I was just like, oh, I hope that ain't a warp core breach because otherwise, uh oh. <laughs> Yeah, they do. I think the dialogue says the vessel's been disabled. So I was like, does that mm. mean you've destroyed it or have you just like left it drifting in space? I think it's or... just drifting, yeah. <laughs> I think it yeah, just yeah. collapsed the warp field and it just. Mm. That's fair enough. Um, it was nice to see a Nebula class ship in Voyager again, though, because no, we, yeah. something we wouldn't really otherwise have seen. We haven't seen any Starship ships up to this point. So that no. was cool. Um, yeah, and I do like the kind of the smoothness of the writing that obviously there's a Federation ship that attacks them. That causes uh, Romulan on the bridge to get sort of plasma burns or whatever, which causes him to have to go to sickbay, which is naturally where the doctor is. So I was like, okay, I, this is really clever. I like this. Everything's happening for a reason, I guess. So hmm. um, it, it struck me that the script was very sort of tight, free flowing yeah. and tight like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, I like that everybody in the episode tends to ask all the right questions that the audience might be asking, even if it wasn't immediately apparent to me. So the Romulans, when they activate or well, but they think they activate, but he's already there. The EMH Mark One actually asked, "Well, why should we trust you? You're a Starfleet program and everything." And I was like, "We don't really need yeah. this scene, but it's nice in case anybody's questioning why the Romulans would be so stupid that they actually do at least address it." Um, so yeah, and then of course this is when the Doctor activates the EMH, and it's uh, it's not the same. It's a Mark Two. It's Andy mm. Dick. <laughs> so, Andy Dick. And, uh, 
yeah, <laughs> this is the immediate start of their fantastic antagonism and their bickering. Um, just, I just love the way that he matter-of-factly points out, oh, you're the Mark One, you're the inferior EMH, mm. EDI's terrible bedside manner. You know? <laughs> and, uh, straight up, straight up in his face and already telling him why he's bad. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. So you can already kind of feel the tension, uh, the kind of grumpy old manism between these two. And again, I'm probably just going to be mentioning a lot of things that I think are brilliantly funny in work. But I love the fact that the doctor, our doctor, fills in Mark II about like, there's Romulans on board, this is what's happened, and um, let's go of his mouth because he's sh stopped him from sort of shouting or whatever. And then he just goes, I'm going to deactivate. <laughs> and then he deactivates yeah. himself. And then the doctor reactivates him. But he's like, no, no, Starfleet regulations say that if we, we've been taken by a hostile force, I'm to deactivate and wait to be rescued. Skewed. <laughs> that was like, there's something brilliant about the the idea of that. And then our EMH has to be like, no, no, I'm going to force you into this. You've got to, you know, there's two ships at stake and everything. And it gives you a fantastic chance for one of the uh, Dr. McCoy isms to get a reference there. Yes. With, uh, I'm a doctor, not a commando, which I love. So, yeah, anytime I'm not a doctor, I'm a doctor, not a something comes up. It's a <laughs> shout out to D. Kelly and Dr. McCoy for that one. Have a stellar. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, they just work really well together. Um, and again, I like that the the, uh, the dialogue and everything makes it clear that uh, things are not going to be smooth because the Prometheus herself and the Mark II AMH are both experimental prototypes. So it kind of yes. raises the stakes of like, um, oh, even his matrix is unstable. And it also gives you the kind of Star Trek-y idea that they're having to overcome limitations to sort of retake the ship. It's not just going to be a simple matter of, oh, okay, we'll do this and that and whatever. Um, and again, this is just me fawning over the performance, but when Andy Dick is kind of wandering around the sickbay and he starts leaning over the Romulan uh, and he's clearly nervous or whatever, and then the doctor touches him on the shoulder, when he does that little jump in fear. When he, it's those little details that really make really... the difference between those uh, those programs. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, it's, it's such a little detail, but I'd laugh at it every single time. Mm -hmm. It's so ridiculous and so funny, but uh, and I do I do like though that at least they point out that the doctor has to still treat well doesn't have to but treats the Romulan because you know Hippocratic oath and he wouldn't just let him be hurt and I was like oh, okay that's kind of cool yeah um, and it's uh, it's also cool that the the EMH gives a little mission history and that's what motivates the Mark II and uh, and everything but then you also get the fantastic moment of. Um, him not being familiar with the kind of newer medical science and like pick up the thing that one it's the cone-shaped device you know we don't use scalpels or leeches anymore so it's um, like i mean how how far is it coming what only four years apparently quite far yeah <laughs> so like, oh right bloody hell yeah, I think the point in that, though, that I really enjoy is that it's basically there's a shifting upper hand when they're bickering throughout the episode, because obviously the scene starts with, like, the, the Mark II being cowardly and not wanting anything to do with it, and then it shifts immediately to, like, look, I'll handle the medical side of things because you're inferior, <laughs> you know? So uh, <laughs> there's never anyone that's, like, above the other at any point, so that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah. So anyway, we move back to Voyager briefly, and there's our first reference to Letters Home, which I like because I always forget this is here, and it... it um, sets up the next episode that we won't be talking about, but I think it's a brilliant little hint and a little tease about what's coming. Um, and again, a nice little joke when uh, Chakotay says to Jane, yes, you probably shouldn't get your hopes up, but I'll admit it, I've started writing a letter to my cousin, <laughs> sort of thing. And uh, yeah. My um, goodness. What's uh, what's less successful for me is the subplot of um, Tom Paris, who's now obviously oh, left, in yeah. charge of, uh, left in charge of sickbay and the idea that, uh, making a new doctor they've got to make a new emh and they're not able to and uh i, I do find it amusing that neelix is trying to kind of 
have marketable skills for the Alpha Quadrant and ended up, you know, giving everyone severe heartburn by giving yeah. them chili. And there's something that I've always remembered and always found hilarious about the line. Maybe next time a little less jalapenos. Yeah, <laughs> I picked up on that. When I was rewatching. I was just like, that's good detail because there's no way in hell he would know how to pronounce that just well, reading exactly, it. Yeah. Star Trek aliens wouldn't. They would just read it and be like, what? Jalapeno? Okay. Jalapeno? Okay. Uh, computer yeah. replicator jalapeno. <laughs> yeah. And I, I like that, but that seems random, but it keeps the idea of the kind of hope of reaching the Alpha Quadrant alive. But then, like you said, it gets kind of silly with the whole idea of we have to try to make a new AMH. And that scene for me, it just kind of slows down the episode. And somebody points out in the Memory Alpha review that it's proven wrong anyway because. The next season, they create a fully working Cardassian medical hologram. That's oh, absolutely brilliant. no problem whatsoever. So it's like, oh dear, never mind. Harry, you just had a bad day. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's not really much to say about the next season, except that I love the comedy back and forth. Mm. Um, so, you know, the Prometheus, they say it's faster than anything and they can't really, you know, they're heading towards Romulan space. They're going to have to do everything. Um, but it's pointed out that there's hollow emitters on every deck on the Prometheus. So, which is a handy explanation for how exactly they're able to retake the ship, because again, it would be hard to do from sick bay or yeah. holiday. <laughs> but uh, it does make me wonder if all like advanced Starfleet ships now have hollow emitters on every deck. <laughs> I mean, quite possibly, I'd say, if uh, from or if, if the premium is being so experimental mm. is unique in that regard, it's just a nice coincidence. It's very possible when you think in Picard, they have holograms for every system they have like an engineering and a hospitality and everything so probably mm. there's every ship now is just holographically equipped but it's a cool idea um even if it's going to lead to eventually the measure of a man for holograms of like well how much do they have independent thought and everything and uh, there's a good episode there i'm sure somewhere yeah um, but uh, yeah the uh, i like the doctor's plan to kind of release the nerve gas to knock out the romulans because it's a cool way to use actual doctory skills but do the commando job that they've got to set out to do and uh yeah, as I said, we've mentioned this already, but the idea of the Doctor growing beyond his programming and even having sexual relations and, you know, the Mark IIs, mm. well, maybe you could download those subroutines into me. Yeah, there you are. Hilarious, and Picardo's oh. idea, so kudos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. Very good idea. Very good. And again, talking about the the brilliant moments of, like, physical comedy, when um, he gets given the canisters of gas, the Mark II, and gets uh, pointed towards the Jeffrey's tube, and he's not sure how to crawl in. He tries, like, walking in backwards and yeah, whatever. Yeah, backwards. <laughs> then he tries crawling the right way, but he forgets to take the canisters with him and everything. Oh, God. Yes. It's so, it's so amusing. It's ridiculous, but it's just funny, and, and oh, it's, it's charming and cool. Um and again, t continuing the comedy thing, the, the EMH Mark One, of course, then goes to the bridge and he's trying to kind of get access to the sensors. So he tries to sort of talk the Romulans through with, ooh, there might be a nasty strain of this virus. Well, we're all not feeling unwell. Oh, well, we can just leave it then. But, you know, some say that the cramps are unbearable. Some people say the rash is worse. And that convinces the Romulans we all conduct your scans. <laughs> Whatever this is. <laughs> so. It's a uh, wow. it's brilliant use of actual <laughs> uh, actual medical stuff to to do his thing, even if it does immediately get caught anyway. So, um, yeah, just over the top kind of comedy, but then you know, shocking. We're we're handing the ship to the Tal Shiar, and the Doctor's been caught, which gives you the whole sort of cliffhanger of like, uh oh, things have been funny, but now we're in deep doo doo. You know? Yeah, um, yeah. God uh, the next bit that I wanted to talk about, we, we, because it's the, the subplot that I think is more successful, I mentioned, is um, we then cut to kind of Torres and Seven of Nine in the lab, and mm. they continue continuing their conflict, and Torres is saying, you know, oh, you're, you're just, you're too rude. 
we can't have it and everything. And it's uh, it's nice that it effectively it furthers their characters and their relationship. But the reason I like this subplot is because it introduces the Herogen for the first time. Oh yeah, of course. That's yeah. This is their <laughs> big moment to begin, and that's kind of like. Well, well done. You've uh, you've irritated them now. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Because again, this is one of the things that when this episode first aired, we'd um, we'd started to hear rumblings of what I thought was the hydrogen, because that's the way it's spelt. <laughs> by the mm. way, so we felt like fools when the episode finally aired because my friend and I had been walking around for about four months saying, "Oh, I can't wait till the hydrogen arc comes." Hydrogen. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was really cool to see this and to know that there was an arc coming with these bad guys, and they're immediately kind of cool and intimidating. And like, what are you? You're using our array, terminate your link, and not having any guff from them, you know? Yeah, um, just literally, no, stop this now. You're using my bandwidth. <laughs> You're on the Rogan Wi Fi. <laughs> Get off. <laughs> nice. But yeah, and I do like that um, talking about like Seven and Torres having that conflict. The way that it's resolved is ultimately that Torres comes to a grudging respect because Seven has the sense to think he's not going to listen, so she just shocks the erosion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, great. it's just uh, great the dual response of Janeway just going, What have you done? Looking exasperated and Torres being like, Oh, nice. Mm. <laughs> Very funny again. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I like the kind of interrogation of the the doctor by the Romulans because he stays kind of stalwart and he's never like afraid. Uh, the Mark One and you know he's he's even answering back and being kind of cocky towards the Romulans yeah. as they keep insisting that why well, you couldn't have done this on your own. And uh, yeah, it's nice again that the script gives a cool explanation for how Mark Two was able to, as he says, improvise and open the filters and release the gas without the doctor's help and whatever else. But uh, again, not really necessary, but it's good that it's there, I guess. And, uh, Again, triumph of dialogue. This is one of the things that th there's certain lines of dialogue from TV you watch when you're younger that stick in your head for whatever reason. And for me, this is one of them. You really should keep a personal log. Why bore others needlessly? Has been randomly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is ironic considering the doctor loves bragging. <laughs> oh, he loves to talk. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this is a, a triumph of direction for me, but I just love that they're having a conversation as they transfer to the bridge. They don't even interrupt the conversation. It just keeps flowing. Yeah, <laughs> which keeps is, on going. Love you wouldn't that. think about it, but it's like, oh, it's so brilliant. And it's there's a slight jarring thing that you can kind of tell. It obviously wasn't filmed at the same time, but I think the effect really works. It's cool. By this point, you've got no one, no one left on board apart from the two holograms to control the ship. And they're yeah. eight minutes from the border. <laughs> so, yeah, again, you scary. get this like, oh, dear, it was scary. We're, we're in trouble here. But uh, that's when you get the improvisation I mentioned about the breathing down my neck stuff from, uh, mm. from Robert Picardo. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're trying to kind of stop the ship. And this this scene really was weird for me, except I pr presume the only reason it's there is to build up the kind of comedy of like the, what do they call it? The, the rule of three, that three things is funnier. So yeah, they yeah. kind of, they stop the ship, but then accidentally cause a warp core breach, but then they solve that problem. But then, oh, the ships are incoming and they're Romulan warbirds. And I was like, oh my word, this is exhausting. <laughs> this, one thing, it's another, you know? Put him through an absolute gauntlet. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, so um, so then we get to the, the conclusion of the episode anyway, which is uh, effectively a really big battle, which I love because it seems to me like they put money into it. It looks really cool. So obviously you've got three Romulan warbirds, you've got two Defiant-class ships and one Akira-class, and you've got the Prometheus. And, uh, yeah, the scene starts to me with a scene that's very much like a rip-off of um, Han Solo's Star Wars moment 
where it's uh, the Romulan's trying to talk to the doctor and the doctor doing his best to be like, uh, we yes, don't worry, don't come on board. Our view screen is broken. We've had trouble. And uh, oh, no, no, immediately we'll drop our shields and then it just takes him nowhere whatsoever. And uh, again, hilarious comedy moment when he tells Andy Dick to raise the shield and he's ducked underneath the front console and he just thinks he's gone. <laughs> oh, it's genius. It's brilliant, and uh, yeah, oh, yeah honestly, said, this, is. this dynamic is just great. But uh, and I love that it's comedy that saves the day in the end as well, because it's the when the, when things are the most tense, and you know, Starfleet are firing on them, so are the Romulans, and the Mark II just gives his soliloquy about, "Oh, that's it, my life cut short. No time to smell the roses, no time for sex," and leans on the front yeah. console and activates the multi-factor assault by pure accident. <laughs> you save their souls by just being stupid. By, well, by being horny, essentially, as he's lamenting oh, not God. being able to have sex. And then, like, oh, I've, I've pressed something. And I just love the way that they both, in unison, as the computer's, like, multi-vector assault mode activated, specify target, and they both, in unison, just Romulans. go, Romulans! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's brilliant. And, uh, yeah, as, as things are kind of settling down and they've won the day, I just love the victory speech and the kind of the fact that they've found mutual respect. And uh, then the DS9 commandos beam in, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, I did read about that this is a couple of extras who are actually from DS9 because they had the uniforms, so why not? Oh, okay. So just like, it's, oh, come on, get in. Yeah. <laughs> so they, you'll probably have spied them in the background of a few DS9 shots, but because they had uniforms and they were already fitted and everything, they were like, oh, yeah, we, one day's work over on the Voyager sets, you know, just beaming in with a phaser rifle. One and, shot, uh, really. It was two shots. Literally, yeah. <laughs> if that, absolutely. But uh, they, again, this is a very, very slight niggle, and it's, it shows how geeky I am. But uh, as one of the jokes earlier on, they're talking about how the systems, they need to sort of get power from other systems. And the EMH Mark II kind of says, well, I'm taking power from life support. We don't need that. And then two humans beam in, and they're perfectly uh... fine. <laughs> we funny if they beamed in, they just started choking and immediately beamed out again. <laughs> exactly. Come here, get grip to defy it. I can't breathe. <laughs> Or whatever the name is. <laughs> Beam us back. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I've got to talk about the conclusion because it's always very emotional. And I remember mm. it really got me at the time because there's something beautiful about the kind of um, the, the doctor arriving back and then just the touching. I told Starfleet that, uh, you know, that we're, we're not gone. We're just lost in this Delta Quadrant. And they said they passed on a message to tell you that they're going to do everything in their power. And they wanted you to know that you're no longer alone. And I just think Kate Mulgrew's performance of that one line at the end, just saying, you know, 60,000 light years feels a little bit closer today. It's so emotional and so powerful. Oh, so it is beautiful. It's that great. ending is honestly a fantastic moment. And it's, it signifies there's difference in the status quo going forward because mm. then there's actually a sign of hope. It's progression. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And uh, again, it's, this was the start of this kind of ongoing arc where they're dealing with the communications home in the next episode, but you're also ramping up the Herogen arc for their kind of um, four or five episodes, whatever it is that they're in. Excuse me. Mm. Um, so it's it's a good little period in Voyager for me that I remember being quite excited about and, and quite liking. Um, and in a way, it's kind of a microcosm of the way things are done in TV now, where it's no standalone episodes. Everything's uh, an ongoing kind of narrative in that way. It's so serialized. it's cool. Serialized, yeah. that was the word. Yeah. So, awesome. Um, well, what I'll do then now, I'll, I'll take us to my very next section, which is a section that I call Gene's Vision, uh, which I have input as a kind of uh, F you, basically, to the people that say that, like, oh, some Star Trek just doesn't have Gene's Vision, because for me, that, it's always there if you want to look for it and find it. So <laughs> um, I always tend to list a few things that I think would be representative of the ideology of Trek and of Gene's Vision. 
Um, and I always ask my guest first. So do you think there's anything that you would perhaps uh, notably say in this episode fits into that ideology, Dom? Hmm. Well, I guess the, uh, the, 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 the synthetic, well, the hologram life forms are coming together across, despite their differences to resolve mm -hmm. the problem, I would yeah. say, is very much integral to that vision. Yeah. Uh, because that is ultimately it is a, un a union between them. Yeah. And I guess you could also say the same thing between Torres and Seven as well. Yeah, um, completely. Absolutely. Essentially always about that, isn't it? Um, resolving differences, coming together and growing. I think growth is yeah. key as well. Um, the growing beyond your programming in this case or growing as, as a person. And obviously there's the idea of the ships kind of longing for home, that mm. being key and, and that ending kind of, uh, you know, echoing that and uh, really exemplifying that, I think, is, is perfect. Uh, I like. I think it's quite a kind of Star Trek vision idea that it's not afraid of comedy and lightness, because um, for me, that's part of the legacy of Star Trek, right back to, like, the trouble with dribbles. <laughs> you know, that's um, there's always yeah, been comedy exactly. episodes. So it's cool. And uh, on a real-world level, um, I did note that this episode, surprisingly, is both co-written and directed by women, which was a, an interesting oh. fact to learn. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the writer Lisa Clink, who co-wrote it with um, someone else, I forget, some some guy, and uh, the director, whose name I can't recall and feel terrible about because she sadly passed away now, but um, oh. fantastic job directing, I had to say, because I thought, before I even looked it up, I thought the direction of this episode was astounding, and I just think it's noteworthy. that. Yeah. So yeah, um, in that case, I will move us to the very end then, which is the conclusion and score out of uh, out of five Starfleet Deltas. And again, I always defer to my guest first. So, Dominic, do you have a conclusion about this episode and your score out of five? I'd say it. I would honestly, I'd give it a solid five, to be honest. Can't awesome. really find many faults about it at all. And it's just a marvellously enjoyable episode that just makes you feel warm on the inside. Oh, that's fair enough. It, it is. It's a comfort episode, isn't it? Very much. But uh, okay. Well, I've, I've ended up with a massively long conclusion, so do bear with me. Oh my. I so, okay. I so apologize for this, but I started writing and couldn't stop. But um, yeah, I just said it's, it's an episode that I remember vividly anticipating, then watching and loving when it first mm -hmm. aired. Uh, as a huge nerd, I was excited to see this new starship and the new rumored triple separation. And boy, that geek stuff and everything just doesn't disappoint. Um, it's always good and still is to spend time with Voyagers family of characters because that's what they were and that's part of the reason why that show particularly appeals to me um i've kind of come to sort of know that and to like these guys uh, what i didn't expect and still love was a glorious little screwball comedy inside of a serious and not diminished star trek framework uh, as i've mentioned i think a lot in a lot of ways the main plot of this episode is doing lower decks before lower decks exists um but the performances are the key chiefly from picardo and dick but the script also was surprisingly tight and effective, really impressed me the more I analyzed it, and the direction of everything from physical comedy to special effects is pitch perfect. Um, the episode for me, though, does have flaws that are worth mentioning, which is at least one of the subplots is unnecessary, with the sense that there's a lot of padding for time on Voyager to keep the main cast involved and to not have to write the A story very, uh, very much longer. Um, but that's a nitpick in an episode that also unknowingly got me hyped as the teasing of uh, one of my favorite arcs via the introduction of the Herogen. Uh, the dialogue, characters, aliens, and ships from this 45-minute episode have all become rightly iconic, uh, but what's to come, for me, would be even better. Um, and I would say four and a half Starfleet Deltas out of five, uh, which obviously would work out as an average to 4.75 out of five overall for message in a bottle, um, which is not bad. Very, very good score for a good episode, I would say. That is and, stellar, uh, I would say. Well done. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, 
So there's just one more bit of business then, and that's to to deal with the audience interaction. As usual, wow. I put out on uh, social media a question about uh, what are your thoughts on the episode message in a bottle. And I did get a handful of responses today, so I'll just go through those. It shouldn't take very much longer. So this is the section that I call subspace communications, basically audience interaction. Um, so yeah, I asked, what did you think of message in a bottle? And I got a response from Rob Olson on Twitter, who just says it's a great episode. Uh, from Philippa at Pippa1987-3315. I loved this one. I cried with laughter. Okay. Um, at Theron Couch says, can't stand it. What should have oh. been a huge deal reporting that Voyager is around but lost in the Delta Quadrant happens off screen. Instead, we get this weird, occasionally comedic action outing and the Romulans stealing the Prometheus is kind of weird continuity-wise. Okay. I, I, I included uh, this because it's kind of nice to get the dissenting view, but I don't agree necessarily with hmm. any of that. Which uh, Neither do I. Yeah. I, I don't think that's understood the episode fully, but fair enough. Um at Johnny Miskatonic just says it was fun and a little smiley face. Uh, and finally, at Jock Glasgow uh, says, totally loved it, although it felt like Chekhov's gun was never quite fulfilled. I expected to see this kick-ass ship come into play later or in a spin-off show, which is weird because that's exactly what you said, Dom, as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's true. The Prometheus was criminally underused and... Uh, yeah, Bibi and Picard, if anybody's listening from there, who happens to be uh, to have yeah. that kind of power. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it would be nice to see the Prometheus again somewhere. It's really cool. And I'm, uh, I'm proud to say I have the little eagle moth model of it in Pride of Place. <laughs> Although it doesn't split into three, which is a shame. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Maybe they, they could make a lot of money by making yeah. that. Make, another, make, <laughs> make one that does do a Voltivator Assault mode. I mean, exactly. I'm pretty sure they can do one that does a standard galaxy source separation. So... Uh, yeah, so that'll wrap us up for today. As I said, um, everybody enjoy Doctor Who tonight as you're listening and uh, enjoy. I hope you've had a safe and a pleasant Halloween. Uh, Dom, thank you so much for joining me in Talking Trek. I could have been here for hours quite happily and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime and uh, I'm always up for Talking Trek. But uh, just before we go, did you have any uh, social media or other project information you wanted to, to pass on? Of course. Well, firstly, thank you for having me. You've been a marvellous host. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> and in terms of my socials and everything, well, you can follow me on Twitter at DominicJGM. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at DominicSomeTime. And feel free to also follow the uh, DW2012 Twitter account or Dynamic Twerks 2012 account on Instagram for updates on uh, my biggest, latest project, which is the Purple Doctor in the Doctor Who fan film under that channel so yeah that is what i have coming up immediately and yeah <laughs> awesome that's great i will leave all the links in the description as well but uh yeah do follow dom he's a, he's a great follow on twitter and everything and uh his uh as i say fan works and things are fantastic so if you're unfamiliar then consider this uh a good plug from me as well so that's great. appreciate and, it uh, yeah no problem anytime anytime and uh yeah enjoy comic con this weekend and hopefully you'll have a great time and uh get lots of photos for you to share on social media for us to to fawn over <laughs> and yes hopefully do my best <laughs> awesome uh you can find me at iron mike wilson on twitter and uh the podcast of course is at hom trek or hom trek just think of mr hom the wax and troy's little manservant and uh yeah <laughs> other than that i will be back next week there's a couple of episodes left in this series before i'll be taking a little bit of a break uh consisting of one two-parter and one movie and next week we will be reviewing the two-part episode uh the pilot actually of enterprise broken bow parts one and two uh and uh yeah so do join me for that and uh in the meantime remember we are starfleet live long and prosper <laughs>